let's take our Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, and let's stand together, and we'll start in verse 19. We'll read verses 19 through 25 as we honor the reading of God's Word. People say, why do you stand for God's Word? Well, um, when you read God's Word. In Nehemiah, the Bible says that when Ezra, the high priest, reinstituted uh, covenant worship, the people stood all day long as he read the Word of God. I'm not asking you to stand all day long. I'll let you sit on your blessed assurance in just a moment. Did I? No, I'm just kidding. That was a bad joke. Okay. Um, but we want to stand in reverence and in honor of the truth. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, who is that great priest? It's Jesus. It's not a preacher. It's not a pastor. It's Jesus. He says, so since all of this, since we have him, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds or good works. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Father, thank you for your word. And as we see that Jesus is faithful, we know that we have that same faith within us. And we can be faithful just as he was because he's our leader. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's our pioneer. And we can finish well in this life being faithful to the very end because that's your will for all of us as Christians. Help us to see these three things that we need to do in order to finish well and to have that finishing faith. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> now, just to continue with my football analogy on a positive level for all the Gators here. Lee McGriff was going on after the game about the rest of the season. He said the Gators are 4-4 four and four right now, 4-4. Four and four. It's kind of disappointing. But he started looking at the games they got left. And based on the Gators' talent, based on how they, how they have played for the most part this year, they have a chance to finish out winning four straight games. They should win those four straight games. They'll finish eight and four. It's not what everybody wanted. It's not Nick Saban kind of kind of kind of finishing, right? But they have a chance to finish well. And I fully expect them to play very well as they finish out the year. That's that's what you do as a football fan, right? That's that's how you how you look at it. I fully expect the Georgia Bulldogs to play for the national championship. Now whether they can finish out or not remains to be seen, but we'll see. But on a spiritual level, Finishing faithful is so important. In those early verses here in verses 19 
through 21, he talks about the high priest that we have. And he's talking to the Hebrews about what Jesus did for them. And how in the past that a high priest had to go in once a year into what the Bible calls the Holy of Holies and a special place in the temple. And before going in, he had to perform cleansing ceremonies with water and some other things. And then he had to go in there and <laughs> they tied like a, 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 it was, it was a plant-based material, but it was like a rope they tied to the high priest's ankles. Because if he didn't perform the proper ceremonial um, things that he needed to perform, and he went in there unclean into the very presence of God, where the Ark of the Covenant was, in the holies, Holy of Holies, behind this thick curtain, he would be killed instantly because of the holiness of God. The question is, no one else could go in there except the high priest. Who's going to go get him? Well, they pull him out by the rope. <laughs> That's how serious the holiness of God is. And so the high priest would have to do that in the Old Testament. But the Bible says that we have a new high priest, Jesus. And he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the perfect and spotless lamb of God. And he came and he gave his life as a sacrifice for you and me. And now we don't need a human high priest to go in and make all these, go through all these ceremonial uh, practices and then, and then make atonement for the sins of the world. Jesus has already done that. And so therefore, since we have that high priest, since we have Jesus, and the curtain has been, has been split apart, and there's no separation between God and man. And now that those of us who are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And the Bible says that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so because I've got him living within me, and I've got this great high priest, there are some things we've got to do now. In other words, we've got it made in that regard spiritually. Jesus did it all for us, and we receive him by faith. So what do we do? How do we finish well? Again, last week we talked about some let us do some things, the Bible says. I have three let us's, if you will, to finish out with. The first thing we see here, and I'm taking it just right out of the Scripture. It's there. It says it for itself. I let the Scripture make the point for itself instead of trying to create something that's not there. That's called eisegesis. That's act, adding in. Exegesis is taking the Scripture and letting it say what it says. Verse 22, let us draw near to God. That's the first thing we've got to do if we're going to finish well. We have got to draw near to God, number one. In the days that we're living in, as the world is getting more secular, and as the world is turning from God, those of us who are Christians should be moving closer to God. Not away from God. I saw, Coach, throw me my, uh, I, I want to get this right, throw me my phone or, or hang it to me because I might not catch very well. Um, <clears throat> so I saw this pastor post this today and on social media, on Twitter, and I retweeted it because I thought it was a cool saying. He says this, Pastor Shane Pruitt says, if you went to a dirty stadium this week with fans screaming, high-fiving and hugging, you'll be fine in the clean church building tomorrow. As 
as we see the day approaching, the Bible teaches us, let us draw near to God. And we'll talk about how, how the church and our, not just attendance, but being part of a local body fits in to that. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. I can take the Bible now, now that I'm a Christian, and with full assurance, I can read the Bible. With full assurance, I can know that I belong to God, not because I'm a good person, because my righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags before a holy God, but because of what Jesus did for me, because he was my sacrifice, and I put my faith in him and trusted in him and gave him my life, I can approach God in faith with full assurance, knowing that I belong to him. I can draw near to God. Can I say something to you? You don't have to be in a church building to draw near to God. A church building is not holy. It's a building made with hands. Y'all realize that? I hear people say stuff like this. You can't be saying that. You're in the church house. Don't matter where you say it. Now, I get, I understand, you know, show some respect. To, and yes, the building has been dedicated and consecrated to the service of God. This is, you know, so I get that, the house of God. I get it. But we are to draw near to God in our hearts, in the way we live, with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings because he has cleansed us from a guilty conscience he has done that listen to me christian if you're feeling guilt over sin that's not from god listen to me i can back it up scripturally satan is the one who wants you to be guilty the Holy Spirit, God, will bring conviction upon you. There's a difference. Satan will bring guilt to say, Coach, you're a sinner. You, didn't, you, 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 you weren't nice to Mandy this week. I'm not saying that that's the truth. I'm sure you were, but let's just, you, just, just go along with it, okay? You weren't, you, you're, so Satan's telling you, you're not nasty. Uh, you're not nasty. You're not nice to uh to Mandy, and so, therefore, you're a rotten husband. You don't deserve to be a Christian. How dare you call yourself a Christian? See, guilt. He wants to make you guilty so that, so that you, you're always uh, defeated. Here's how the Holy Spirit works, church. The Bible says that a still, small voice, he speaks to us deep within us, and he talks to us and says, Coach, you know, I don't know if he quite says it like this, his vocabulary might be a little bit better, but the Holy Spirit will say, Coach, that's your wife. And the Bible says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He talks to us. And you know what usually happens to an obedient Christian? When they hear the voice of God through their conscience, through their spirit, through the, from the word of God, from the truth of God, most of us, you know what we do? You're right, Father. You're right. Get it. It's called conviction. It brings a conviction within our heart. I've always said it this. A true Christian doesn't need any human being to tell them that they've sinned. The Holy Spirit can do that. Now, it's not to say that God doesn't use people, but it is true that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And He convicts us of sin, is what the Bible 
people hurt. So guilt comes from Satan. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit because God wants to restore you. God wants you to be in a right relationship with Him. So we've got to draw near to God. It is my responsibility to draw near to God. It really is. It's my responsibility in my walk, personally, to care for my spiritual soul. Nobody else is going to care for it. I mean, they might care for me, but they can't do the work that only I can do between me and God. And we don't like that our preacher goes hunting sometimes, you know. We want him to be at the house, at the office, at the phone all the time, at our every beck and call. You're not going to have me for long if that's the way i got to live my life. I got to go get along with God somewhere. I got to go care for my soul. I got to spend time with Him. I've got to do things to get my heart right so I can be ready Sunday, day in and day out, so I can leave, so forth and so on. I know what I need to do to draw near to God. What about you? I don't always do it. And I find myself running on the ragged edge sometimes. But this is this is the kind of faith you gotta have. You gotta finish strong. Let us draw near. Number two, let us hold, check this word out. It comes right from the NIV. It says, let us hold unswervingly to our profession. Unswervingly. That's a preacher word, right? (laughs) Unswervingly means to hold fast. It's not just hold strong. It's more than just holding strong. It's holding tight. It's holding firm in your conviction. So look at what it says here. I want to help you understand this. Verse 20, 23. Let us hold unswervingly. Look, not to our faith. He's not saying to our faith. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. In other words, how do I finish faithful, finishing faith? I'm going to hold unswervingly. I'm not going to go off in this direction, in that direction. I'm going to stay with the stuff. I'm going to stay with my profession of faith. The things that I profess, I profess that I gave my life to Christ. I acknowledge Him as my Lord and Savior. He's the Lord of my life, and now I've got to hold on to that unswervingly. I can't just go off on any tangent that I want. I've got to stand strong and stand firm and hold fast to that which I profess. In other words, I claim to be a Christian, there's a certain way I've got to live. Right? You know what's the most difficult thing for, for Christians, for a church, for a local church? It's not the lost world. It's not Hollywood, <laughs> Holly weird. It's not Washington, D.C. I tell you what hurts the average Christian and, and the average church are those who profess to be Christians and who live like children of the devil. That's an old school saying, children of the devil, but that's true. They're Christian in name only, but they don't live it. Christian in name only. You know, we picked up our grandson last night as we were coming coming home, met them in Live Oak, and uh, picked up our grandson. And on the way home, you know, we're trying to keep him up 
because I don't want we don't want him to fall asleep because we want him to go to sleep when he gets home. And so we're talking to him. He's in the car seat in the back. And so here we go to our old McDonald thing. All right, we say uh, we say Caleb. <clears throat> um, how does the deer do, Caleb? On point. How does the turkey do? And he goes, Pops do the turkey. <laughs> um, and then we went on all these animals. How do they do? Farm animals, wild animals, the whole thing. I can bark like a dog. I can chirp like a squirrel. I can do it all. I can do all of that stuff. It don't make me one of them, right? And you can claim to be a Christian all day long, but it doesn't make you one. You can put a costume on and go to a fall festival and be, be something, which is cool, and I'm, I'm not against that, but that's not what you are. It's a costume. Christianity shouldn't be a costume. It's a lifestyle. And we have to hold to finishing our faith. We need to hold on to our profession. Is Christ who we say he is? And if, if he is, he's worth living for till the very end. And one last thing I want you to see. Finishing faith. So let us draw near, number one. Let us hold. Let us consider. Let us consider our worship with one another. Now there's a whole lot in this right here that I want to I want to unpack quickly let us consider verse 24 let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds i don't know if you know this or not but that's part of the work of the church we hold each other accountable we hold each other to a standard of living to a standard of faith to a doctrinal standard that's what we do. That's what the church is all about. And so it says here, so let us consider one another as we come together to worship and be the church that God's called us to be, how we may spur one another. Half of sermon preparation is intent, not so much content. I mean, content, without content, without the Bible, you have nothing. But, but you know, you've got the Bible, you've got the content. Now, what's the intent of the message? What do I want the message to do? What am I praying about? What does God want the message to do in, in our heart and lives? And sometimes it is my job as a pastor to spur you. You ever rode a horse? You ever had spurs before? They don't. When I've ridden a horse, they don't give me spurs because, man, I dig them into that horse and then bad things happen. The, the concept, you know, I don't ride horses very often, but the concept is you, you get that horse to do something. It's not a flesh wound. It's not shooting them. It's not beating them up. It's just a little reminder. This is what you got to do. And when I come to church, it 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 sharpens me. It hones me in a little bit. Every now and then, there's some rebuke. Rebuking doesn't have to be harsh. Every now and then, there's there is there is some um, uh, building up. There's some encouragement. As a matter of fact, more than every now and then, quite a bit. And that's how we spur. So we need to consider others. 
See, me being a part of the church is not just me. I'm not going to Burger King where you can have it your way. I know that's an old saying. Y'all remember the, the Burger King song? Have it your way at Burger King. That was like in the 1800s. But anyway, that was a long time ago. You know, there was a time when Burger King separated itself from McDonald's as a restaurant to say, look, you know, in McDonald's, you had to order whatever they had, and that was it. You, you know, if it came with pickles, it came with this. You take the pickles off. But at Burger King, you could order whatever you wanted and tell them what you wanted, and they would serve it to you. That was years ago. That's kind of how they, they made, they came to fame and how they made it. Well, you see, it's not that way in a church. A church is not for you to come and just pick and choose what you want. A church is so that you can consider others. And let us consider how we may spur others on toward love and good works. Love and good works. You know, over the years I've had many, many people come to me as a pastor. And, and it's a fine line here. And I'm not, I'm not downing anybody for doing this, but it's a fine line. Some people come see pastor and, you know, they got an issue with someone. And really it comes down to this. It comes down to this. Is what they've done. Have they violated Scripture to a point that it requires a confrontation? I advocate that very few things require that. Very few things require Matthew 18. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we need to cover each other's sin with love. So people come to me and they're like, Pastor, we need to do this about this person. This person did this to me. Da, 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 da. And they, they want a reckoning. And I'm like, what does God want? Maybe what he wants is for you to consider them and to love them through it. Meaning, there's no need for confrontation. There's need for patience. Give room for God to work. Give room for the Holy Spirit to work and be it. You know why we don't see the Holy Spirit work sometimes like maybe we used to see Him work? Because we don't give Him any room. We squeeze Him out. We try to be God. We try to play that. And so the Bible says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love. doesn't always require, and we'll get in your face on any of that stuff, good deeds. Then he says here in verse 25, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. It said it. I didn't. God said it. That's pretty direct. It was going on then, just like it's going on now. You see, being a part of a church body is habitual, good and bad. It's a habit. And when it becomes part of your life, part of what you do, it becomes part of the system and how you live, it's not really a decision. It's what you do. It's what you are. It becomes habit-forming in a good way. There are good habits that we should have, and yet there are others that create bad habits. And so he says here, 
don't give up meeting together because some are in the habit of doing it. I know the church isn't perfect. Just look at who's preaching to you today. Why does God choose human beings, choose men to be pastors? I told God on several occasions, you got the wrong dude. Do you know how messed up I am? Do you know how I struggle in these areas? Now, there are certain things as a pastor that disqualifies you, but what I'm talking about is some things, you know, some confidence issues and this and that. God chooses the weak things of this life. And churches aren't perfect. We're full of people who needed a spiritual physician to bring spiritual healing. They're still fighting and battling sin. We still fight and battle selfishness. We still fight and battle doubt and uncertainty. We struggle. We're not perfect people. We're not better than anybody else. But as Christians, we have a God who is perfect. And we have a way we should live. And we need each other just like a family needs each other. We're getting ready to go into the holidays and, you know, we're close to it, right? This coming, Thanksgiving's here in just a few weeks. What are we going to do during Thanksgiving, most of us? You're going to gather with some people you love, and usually it's family. And you're going to do the same thing for Christmas. You know why? Because family's important to us. And in the same way, just like the family's important, the church family is important. So we need to consider our worship with one another. Not just attendance, but who we are, how we engage with each other, how we help each other grow. And then he says here, not as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. One of the greatest ministries that all of us can engage in all the time in the church is to be an encourager. To be an encourager. Any of us can point out the faults. <laughs> I remember one guy years ago got mad at me, and we were in a business meeting here in the church, and I was right over there, and there was an agreement that we were going to deal with the subject at hand. No names were going to be mentioned. It wasn't going to get personal. It was just the issue. One man got up, he stood right over there, almost a couple of rows in front of where Brother Don, and he goes, well, I know some things about Brother Corey uh, that, uh, that if y'all knew, uh, you would think differently about him. And I said, I said, hey, dude, <laughs> I know more bad stuff about me than you will ever know. You don't scare me with your threats. Anybody can look at you and say, let me tell you some bad stuff about your life. church on the other side we should be encouraging here's the person you can be no this is not right the way you're living this is wrong this is you need to repent in this area that's truth that's truth telling 
God has a plan for you. God has forgiven you. God can help you. And you know what? And I love you. And I want to encourage you. And you can be everything that God wants you to be. You're not a product of your sin. You're a product of what Christ has done within you. And you have great potential in the Lord. That's the kind of encouragement people need to hear. And he says here, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day should be capitalized, the word day in, in the scriptures. It's the day of the Lord. It's the end time events, but it's the, perhaps the rapture or when Jesus returns. It's a one small word that's talking about the whole end time event taking place. As you see the day approaching, hmm. crime is up in this country. The Bible says that in the last days, lawlessness will abound because the love of many will wax cold. Y'all believe we might be living in the day? Can you see the day approaching? The Bible says you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, we've all lived through that the last so many years. That day is coming. And so much the more. So I should be more in tune with my church family. I should be more loving toward my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I should be more encouraging as we see the world and everything that it's built upon collapse. You know, as this world tries to divide people, you know what happens in a world full of division? I mean, nasty division. It gets to a point that people can't even talk through their disagreements, and that's how wars begin. And that's how millions of people die. The church of the Lord Jesus has always been a lighthouse in the midst of all of the tyranny in the world and all of the heartache in the world and all of the destruction in the world throughout history. And even in the midst of those things, the church has always practiced this number three. To consider each other, to spur each other on in our worship, to good works, to love, to encourage each other, and to gather with a determination even more now than ever. There are people today that are considering, people who've served in the church and been in, in, in the church for a long time, who've gotten saved. And, and, but there are some people considering, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I want to be a part of the body anymore. I need a break, they say. No, you don't need a break from the body. You need to reevaluate what you're doing in your life. And then there are a lot of others who are considering just the opposite. I need my church family more than I ever have. I need 
this lifestyle more than I ever have. And until God calls me home, I want to be part of the church and all that you are. So as you live this life, don't move away from God, move closer to Him. Lean into Him, press in, get closer to Him. came to uh, send a picture to somebody last week and said the picture was unable to uh, was un- unable to send because the storage on my phone was full. I thought, huh? Man, I got 120 something gigs, which I don't know what all that means except there's a whole bunch of I should have a whole bunch of space in here. And so I started finagling around and I found where my storage issues were. 90 gigs of the 120 3.8 gigs that I have of storage space was from podcasts. I didn't know that podcasts were stored on your phone. I was talking to a Cameron about that. He goes, yes, I know. Some of them are sports podcasts. This time of year, I like to keep up with some of that. Some of them are ministry podcasts. What I'm getting at is that the world we live in today affords us opportunities. Just like when the television was created, a lot of preachers used to call it the hellavision. <laughs> and the technology is not evil, it's what you do with it. The technology we have in our hands can, can ruin your life, run your life, destroy you if you let it. Or you can take advantage of it and use it to grow. Use it to draw near to God. So a lot of a lot of what I do when I'm going down the road, and I, I normally do it in the morning when I'm going to a deer stand or when I'm traveling anywhere, and I put a podcast on. I'm listening to a pastor somewhere. I'm listening to something spiritual. Or I'm listening to whatever it is and trying to draw near to God so that my heart will stay soft so that I won't become hardened by the sin of this world and the stuff that's going on. That's one way I do it. Another way I do it is get alone and get, get, get alone with God and, and get in nature and, and hear things and get all the sounds of the world away from me. You find out what you've got to do to draw near to God and you draw near to Him. Don't let these times separate you from your relationship with God. Draw near to Him. And persevere, hold to that perfection. Don't let anybody pull you away from your relationship with the Lord. And let's realize in faith that we need each other. Let us consider one another. I need you, you need me. Is like Barney's mom. I love you, you love me. We're a dysfunctional family. We, no, that's not what he said. The church was God's idea, just like the family. The family's a mess sometimes. I was talking to somebody in our church this week, having a little family issue going on, and it kind of bled into to being here at church. And you know, I was on the phone with somebody in my family, and I apologized to people there. I mean, it was an ugly conversation. I just. I'm sorry, you're, 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 listen to me. I was dealing with a family problem. And uh, 
no, Pastor, that's nothing. You should, you should, see, you should hear us talk to each other sometimes. <laughs> Jeez, we all do it, right? Good and bad. Families included. But we stay with our families. We love each other. We encourage each other. We lift each other up. That's what Christian family meetings do to our blood family. And that's what we should do to our spiritual family. Together. I need you. You need me. We're a local body. We're a fellowship. We are the ecclesia, the Greek word for the, for the called out ones, the church. And the church's day hasn't come and gone. The church is as relevant today as it ever has been, and even more so as we see the day approaching. Finish strong, my friends. Stay faithful. Be resolved. And finish the days that God has for you like that. Finish them strong. Let's stand together. And let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. And we're not alone in this life. We have you. We have the body of Christ. We have our great high priest who's always making intercession for us, praying for us. We have him who forgives us when we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So help us right now in this moment to solidify any doubts, any commitments that we need to make. Walk out of here today encouraged, strengthened, convicted, knowing that there's a way to do it. And we know that there's a way which seems right to a man, but that way leads to death. So therefore, we know that the way that is right is your scripture for uh, your word, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So as we follow our Savior, we know we're on the right path. So help us, Father, to finish strong, finish faithful. It's called finishing faith. I want to be like Paul. I want to be able to finish the race. I want to fight the good fight. And then perhaps maybe for all of us, there'd be a crown of righteousness waiting for us in heaven that we in turn would be able to cast at the feet of Jesus and say, worthy are you, Lord. This was all for you. So however God's spoken to your heart, we have what is called an invitation where we invite you to come. It's the front of the stage. You say, what's so important about this place? I think it's where the Word of God meets our heart. We kind of call it a, a makeshift altar. It's good for human beings to have moments and places that we can point to. So I encourage you to, to come and pray and have that moment. No one will judge you. God will be there with you. And and. He's there to help you and to love you. And if you want to make a decision to follow him or to present yourself for baptism or to join this church, this is the time to do it. I'll be here waiting for you. So we pray it all in Jesus' name. As our team leads us, you pray, you worship, however God leads you during this moment.